Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 5, and I'll be reading out of the Common English Bible. This is why I thought it was necessary to encourage the brothers to go to you ahead of time and arrange in advance the generous gift you have already promised. I want it to be a real gift from you. I don't want you to feel like you're being forced to give anything. What I mean is this. The one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop, and the one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way, you will have everything you need always and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. As it is written, he scattered everywhere and he gave to the needy. His righteousness remains forever. The one who supplies seed for planting and bread for eating will supply and multiply your seed and will increase your crop, which is righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. Your ministry of this service to God's people isn't only fulfill, fully meeting their needs, but is also multiplying in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. They will give honor to God for your obedience to your confession of Christ's gospel. They will do this because the service provides evidence of your obedience and because of your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. They will also pray for you, and they will care deeply for you because of the outstanding grace that God has given to you. Thank God for his gift that words can't describe. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. This is my first time preaching to actual, uh, not, not that the staff and support folks aren't actual people, um, but my first couple Sundays here, you know, we were live streaming in here, and we had the, as one of y'all mentioned now, the, the cutouts and the mimeographs, that was, that was awesome. Mimeographs. Whoa. It's like I've been smelling the mimeograph talking like that. I don't know. Anyway, um, thank you all for being here. Thank you for being here uh, if you're with us streaming. My name's Steve Hyduke. I'm a pastor here at Ovilla United Methodist Church, and I'm really excited to be preaching to a live congregation this morning. So would you all, and you all, please pray with me. Good and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight because you, God, are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I feel like I'm a little bit off because this is just so... Can I borrow your stand? Great. Um, so we're in week three of our Stew series. Stew is short for stewardship, but it's also um, this great... Um, concoction that you make by putting a bunch of different ingredients into one pot and cooking them together. And stew, it represents stewardship for that reason, because our stewardship is um, the, the set of, the collection of ways that our lives take responsibility that God has given to us. 
because when God first created humans, God gave all of creation to them and charged them, required them to steward it, to take care of it, to be responsible for it. Not that it's theirs, it still belongs to God, but humans are responsible for taking care of it. And one of the kind of old-fashioned now words for that is stewardship. And so stewardship, like stew, is a combination of ingredients. Um, we're taking a, a simple five ingredients because there's only so many Sundays you want to do with this. And just like actual stew, there's not a set list of ingredients. So we've chosen the ingredients of the membership vows of a United Methodist Church, which are your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. We're in week three of that now, so we've done prayers. That's the first most important ingredient. If you don't have prayer, you don't have a life of a steward. Presence, uh, presence here, presence for one another as the body of Christ gathered in worship, and for each other in a hurting and broken world out there. And then week three is gifts. We have committed our gifts to the church for the work of the kingdom, for the uplifting of God's mission in this world. And so, to start into gifts, I want to introduce you to Eileen Taylor. Eileen Taylor was a physician's assistant until she lost her job. She was in her mid-50s and lost her job and found herself without work. But as one does, she was still in the habit of going through the drive-thru at the donut shop, even though she didn't have a job to pay for these donuts anymore. And she thought of the times that she's been through this line of the donut shop before, and somebody in the car in front of her had paid for her order. And so she thought how good that felt for her, even in times when she maybe didn't need it. So she did that this time. She paid it for it. She paid for the car behind her in order. So she may have started this, this um, um, now I lost the word for that, you know, this cycle of paying it forward. Because you might have been in the car, in line, in the drive through and somebody in front of you paid for your order, and you know how it feels, so sometimes it inspires you to pay for the order behind you. And sometimes, stores with drive throughs tell us, sometimes this pattern carries on for 30 minutes or an hour or all afternoon. So Eileen Taylor, with her generous gift to the car behind her, may have started something that morning. And sometimes we feel that way when we're thinking stewardship and we're thinking about giving. I, I want to, to tell you this morning that God is a generous God and that God invites us to be generous with our stewardship of, of all that we are responsible for. God invites us to be generous in response. So it's tempting, maybe, like Eileen Taylor might have thought, that she was starting this generous act. But I would encourage you all to think, as you consider generosity, that none of us ever start generosity. All the generosity, every generous act that you or I or anybody in the world has ever done starts with God's generosity. In fact, to help you think of this, I want to invite you to consider generosity as really just love lived out. Because when somebody does something loving for somebody else, it's by definition generous because it's not to pay back for something that's been done for them. Because if, if you just return something kind that has been done for you, that's not a loving thing. That's just a normal social thing. Somebody does something for you, you do something in return. But it's love that initiates a kind or a caring act. So love is the original generosity. And generosity is one of the foundational identities of our God. God has been incredibly generous with us. 
And we know God's generosity primarily, first and foremost, through God's love. God loves us. While we weren't worth loving, God loved us. Paul writes, um, it might make sense to die for a good person, but nobody would die for somebody who didn't even want it. But while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. A generous act of giving and of love. And so we're invited today to consider our commitment to the church in our offering a, a pledge and a vow of our giving to support the work of the church, and that comes in the church, in our gifts and offerings. By the way, um, I don't know if you notice this on your way in, but on the way out, we have generosity bowls. So instead of all the hand-to-hand -hand contact that would happen if our ushers were passing the plates, now, I just realized I haven't done this here before. You all passed the plates before, right? Okay, good then that's a worthwhile um, illustration. So we're not passing the plates today. We just have generosity bowls at the outside of each door and then one out in the narthex because I don't want you feeling like you get out in the narthex and oh, I can't go back in there, but I really want to give. We got you covered. Also, on the sign over each generosity bowl, there's a QR code. So you know you can type ovillaumc.org slash give and go to our electronic giving page, you can also just take a picture of the QR code and it will take you to the giving page. We want to make this as easy as possible for anyone and, and for you to give in any of the ways that you might want to give because we serve a generous God and we want to help you be generous as well. So as we are learning as God's people to live in response to God's generosity for us by becoming generous people as well, uh, it helps us to focus and sp to spend some time meditating and even celebrating how incredibly generous God is. Here's, here's an illustration of how generous God is. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he's in this section about the law of murder. You know, thou shalt not commit murder. And he starts with, you've heard that it said to those who live long ago, don't commit murder, and all who commit murder will be danger and judgment. And so he goes on, and so he's in the midst of talking about murder and hatred, and he stops in the middle of that and says, Therefore, if you're bringing your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go make things right with your brother. Now, it's intriguing that, that Jesus assumes that our posture of giving gifts at the altar is so ordinary that this is just part of our life even when we have some major offense against our brother or our brother or sister has some major offense against us. So the, the giving is a normal part of our Christian practice. And yet even if we're dealing with things as serious as major anger and hatred, Jesus pauses and says, okay, keep, keep your gift-giving habit, but also make it right with your brothers and sisters. So giving in Jesus' eyes, is woven into the life of the believer. Giving is a part of who we are as we learn to live generously in response to God's generosity for us. Now, some of the ways we do this, um, obviously, as I mentioned, we, we can give in the um, generosity bowls on your way out. Some of you already give electronically. You might even have it set up on auto each month or each week. I don't know what your pattern is because you're committed to that kind of thing. Um, someone told me a story. It was a few years ago, but 
but not so many that it, that it was before electronic giving was common, that this person made it a practice, I think he wrote a check, and made it a practice to put it in the plate every Sunday and thought as he was doing that 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 was an act of worship. So he wasn't thinking, when's that plate going to get here? Man, what's taking the usher so long? And he wasn't thinking, who else has touched this plate before I put my check in it? His thought when he put his offering in the plate was, this is an act of worship of our God. So whatever your habits and practices of generosity are, I invite you today and for this week to consider those and, and to celebrate them. And I want to invite you to consider, with the Holy Spirit's guidance, if you are practicing generosity in all the ways that God has for you to practice generosity. And to illustrate the ways that God has for us to practice generosity, I brought a ladder from home. And you can tell it's my ladder if you look at it very closely because there's dinosaur stickers on the side of it that I hadn't even noticed until Eliza pointed them out. And the bottom left leg looks like a car has run into it and it has so it's a useful tool but you can tell it belongs to a person who might not be quite as respectful and careful with his tools as one would think but that just supports my illustration because this this giving that god invites us to to live lives of doesn't have to look like look perfect and be structurally sound it can start in any way and even be a little out of shape. Your giving might even have dinosaur stickers on it. I don't know. But the way it starts, I think the way it always has to start, is you become or you became a first-time giver. There are people that are actively involved in the life of a church for years and never do anything to support it financially. In fact, a, a person in this church told me this story that they had been a part of a church for a long time before somebody said um, do you know how it is the the electric bills get paid and this person thought well the the hierarchy of the church probably sends them money every month it's not how it happens so then this guy talked about how once he realized and it was a light bulb light bulb moment that it's through our gifts that the church is able to do things so simple as keep the lights on and so complex as send people out into mission around the world, he became a first-time giver. So the bottom of our giving ladder is just being a first-time giver. But you can only be a first-time giver once. So beyond that, the next step becomes you could become an occasional giver. So you've given once, and you're at church regularly, and you're hearing about all these great causes like a drive-through trunk or treat, and what is that, and, and youth mission trips, and adult mission trips, and, and, and missionaries in Turkey that we support. And so as you hear these um, pleas or presentations at a church, you decide, okay, well, that's a worthy cause. I'll give to that. And so you become an occasional giver, which gets you a little bit further up on the ladder of giving. And then you might find... After this happens for a while, you might find, you know, I'm going to give to support the church whether or not somebody's made a particularly effective plea this morning. Because even if nothing in the service impressed me today, they still use electricity, 
and there's still somebody whose bills need to get paid, and there's still somebody preparing us for some kind of mission experience. So I will go from becoming an occasional giver to being an intentional giver. And somewhere along the line, typically, if someone becomes an intentional giver, they not only go from needing to be convinced that the church could use some money, but they go to some sort of increment of their income or, or what they have collected in their savings and investments, and they become intentional. Typically in here, people also move, if they haven't yet, to going from, well, let me see what I got left over at the end of the month, and then I'll see what I can give to the church. And they, they move and they shift to, you know, the ministries of the church are worthy of my support and generosity, so I'm not waiting to see if there's anything left over. I'm giving first. Because the scripture teaches throughout that uh, God's people are to give the first fruits, the first tenth of what they have. But we're, we're not to a tenth yet because for somebody who has just given occasionally and now they're giving intentionally with some regularity, giving a full 10% of their income might seem like an awful lot. And we certainly respect that because it can seem like an awful lot. And we are fully in support of incrementally moving up the giving ladder because I don't know about you, but if I'm climbing a real ladder, I'm starting with the first step. At one point, I was young enough to think I could start with the second or third, but I'm starting with the first step now. So you move to intentional, and you also move at this point to where you've committed a, a part of what you own to the work of the church. Typically, at this point in our lives of generosity, we also start to feel like we have more money. When we commit to giving from our first to the work of God, it seems like we have more left at the end of the month. Now, Sometimes there may be some sort of supernatural blessing involved, but what this also does is it resets our priorities, and anytime we reset our priorities, the rest of the priorities that line up behind those things fall into order better. So as we establish that we're going to give this month, this amount, this month, the rest of our spending is filtered through that thought, and we almost inevitably end up better off having made that decision. So I've mentioned this before, and um, it's time to get here. This is the, the biblical standard is a tithe. Tithe specifically translates to 10%. As I said before, you may not be, if, if you're not already at that step on the ladder, you may not be ready to jump to a tenth. You may feel like God's calling you that direction. God may be calling you that direction 1% increase per year at a time. I am not going to argue with God on that, but this is a standard step on the giving ladder, which is a tithe. The, the biblical basis for a tithe is 10% of your income, the first 10%. But then I have a couple of stories I want to tell you about the next level, because I have yet to talk to somebody who has made it to this level on the giving ladder who has not sought to go further up. And the next step is to become an extravagant giver, where you start at 10%, but there's still those extra pleas and extra appeals that speak to you. And you realize because you've become intentional and you've ordered your finances to prioritize the work of God, that it seems like at the end of the month, you just have more there. And you want to give that more to the work of God and the glory of the kingdom. And you become an extravagant giver. So a couple of stories. Somebody I was talking to several years ago now, um, they had been retired for, I think, at least a decade. 
and it was time to make sure that their financial house was in order, so they went to a, to a certified financial planner, presented all their income and assets and investments, um, and, and this person ran the numbers and said they had plenty of resources to live to 94. The first thing they said was, I don't want to live to 94. But what they also found is what they had called their tithe in giving intentionally and regularly to the church was actually now 40% of their income because they lived on less than they had coming in. So they, they gave away 40% of their income. And so that's extravagant giving. That's the kind of giving that God invites us to move in the direction of as we learn to live generously in response to God's generosity. But I want to tell you another story. There's a man that lived a long time ago. His name is John Wesley. You might have heard of him. He's the founder of the Methodist movement. He determined early in his ministry that he could live on 30 pounds a year. So a pound is, I think, about, we'll say two bucks. So $60 a year he could live on. Dollars weren't the same in the 18th century as they are now, are they? Anyway, John Wesley determined he could live fine on 30 pounds a year, so he determined he would live on 30 pounds every year, and he lived on 30 pounds a year for the rest of his life. At one point, the peak of his income in his ministry, he was receiving 1,400 pounds a year, and he was living on 30. So he was giving away 1,370 pounds a year. He was giving away 90% of his income because he had determined to live generously in response to a generous God to live on this amount and give everything beyond that. Now, I tell you all this um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's important for us as stewards of God's creation to live faithfully. And to do that, it helps us to think of how generous God is and has been to us. So I want to invite you this week to, take, to spend some time thinking about God's generosity and how you have experienced God's generosity, not just financially, but in all the ways that you might experience generosity. Think about those this week. And I share that with you now because in October, we as a church, like many other churches, are preparing our budget for the next year. Our finance committee has been hard at work at this for already, already for a month. And I will let you know that this church's financial situation right now is not where it was two or three years ago. We're looking at a budget for 2021 that is probably 70% of what it was two years ago. And that's to reflect the giving that our congregation is able to do now versus a couple of years ago. So the finance committee is required to present a budget and our committee, our finance committee is committed to, committing, to presenting a budget that is a responsible response to their expectation of our ability to support it financially. So over the next couple of weeks, all of our church people will be having, will receive an opportunity to help us know what your level of generosity regarding Obilly United Methodist Church will be for the coming year. And I want you to know, this is not something that you are, that, that you are um, set in stone to do. For example, you might have one expectation right now of what you'll be able to afford in 2021 because you don't know that you're going to lose your job in June. And if you lose your job in June and you remember this sermon, I was not thinking of you. It's just a what if. 
But what we're hoping for is an honest presentation of our people of how we intend to share generously with the work of the church for the next year so that we can budget responsibly to fulfill our mission, which is to go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We can't do that without learning to live generously in response to incredibly generous God. So, thank you for prayerfully considering how you will make steps this year in living as a disciple who responds generously to God's generosity. Please pray with me.